Hey, stepmoms, Tracy here, coming to you from my socially isolated recording booth in Kitchener, Canada. I can't start this week's episode without at least a nod to the strangest circumstances that no one could ever have predicted the last time I talked to you. I hope it helps you wherever you're listening from to know that we're all still in this together. I know lots of you are at home with kids, both bio and step, who have no school for a number of weeks. I published a little ebook last year that I'm happy to make available at no cost, so you can at least have a few more ideas about how to pass the time. You can grab that by going to essentialstepmom.com and you'll see the link right there. Don't forget, being bored is actually great kindling for creativity. Most of us never allow ourselves even one minute of boredom. I hope we'll all get to try it out just a bit, and who knows what amazing things will be born from that. Tracy here. Welcome to Season 2 of the Essential Stepmom Podcast. Unconventional advice and inspiration about the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. Why unconventional? Because statistics show that nearly three-quarters of step-families don't last more than five years. So the conventional wisdom, the general consensus, the status quo are all leading stepmoms straight for the gutter. In this podcast, we look outside the box for better answers, for counterintuitive strategies to help us fight the instincts that don't serve us well and to grow a new parenting reflex that really supports us and everyone else on this crazy journey. This season will feature interviews with some of the most interesting people I know, sharing their outside-the-box expertise as it applies specifically to step families. You're going to hear about modern Buddhism in step parenting, the stress around money in step parenting, new perspectives and insights about bio moms, how to deal with the prospect of never having a child of your own, coping with burnout and adrenal exhaustion, and using the challenges of step parenting to truly become that better version of yourself. So here's part two of my interview with Tamazin Thomas. You remember her from a few episodes ago? She's the therapist and financial expert who helps couples work out their money-related conflicts. Don't you just want to invite her over for coffee? Me too. So here's the next best thing. Listen in to our virtual coffee chat, and she'll tell you about her three steps to resolving financial conflict. Hi again, Tamsin. Thanks so much for coming back. We have so much to talk about. There was no way to get it all in in one session, so I'm really grateful that you agreed to come back and talk to us again about the psychology of money which is also the name of your podcast and super worth listening to. Um, I really recommend that people go and check that out. Um, So last time you were here, we really just kind of started exploring the complexity of this topic, that it's not an easy thing to say um, that fights about money aren't about money. And you promised us that you were going to go a little deeper today Uh, about the psychology piece and that we'll do one more session later on where we can talk about the practical nuts and bolts of getting on the same page with your partner. Does that, is that good? 
Yes, I love that. Um, yeah, and thank you so much for having me back. I've been really looking forward to um, being back with you because it's such a joy to talk about this stuff. And yes, that does align really well. I think we left off last time really beginning to illuminate the complexity of how issues about money are not about money. And I think one of the things we really explored was when we see the ex getting her nails done and we can't afford to get our own nails done. Yeah. If we have a, if we have, if we're connected with our partner and we have a sense of self and we're grounded within ourselves and within that relationship, we're not going to care whether or not she's getting her nails done. So um, the fact that we do care becomes a nice um, kind of flag that some, maybe something needs to be paid attention to and cared for. Oh, for and sure. that really lends very nicely into what, what I thought might be helpful to talk about today. And then awesome. like you said, next week, we can really get to the technical aspect of um, how do you begin to budget and talk about money on a logical technical basis and kind of get into it on a monthly basis next time. Perfect. Perfect. So you have a very cool um, free download available from your website. And maybe you can talk us through that a little bit. And also I want everybody to know that you don't have to like pull over the car and take notes because you're gonna get all the details about how to get this free download from Tamsin and you'll, you'll have everything that she's gonna talk about today and more um, available for you on paper digitally. Um, so don't worry about you know, memorizing anything or taking notes here. Yeah, that's exactly right. Everything I'm going to talk about today is absolutely in that ebook, the three steps to resolving financial conflict. And so today, if you're driving, just enjoy it and listen. <laughs> and you can always download that and go back and read it for some of the detail and the nuance. Um, and it's great. I really enjoyed it, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm really, well really done. glad that you enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's a labor of love. So <laughs> it, took, it took several months, and wow. um, but I'm excited about it. So um, yeah, so I think, you know, the three steps, if we were to summarize them, are understand the conflict, mm -hmm. be known, and love boldly. And, you know, well, what the heck does that mean? Um, that's what I'd like to talk about today. So if we begin the conversation with the lens that issues about money are never solely about money, the question that becomes necessary or obvious to ask is, well, then what would they, could they possibly be about? Because it sure the feels like they're about money. It, absolutely, it sure does. <laughs> it and sure does. I would say in just general for, for conflict in general, when, when we're not um, triggered or heated about something, when we can really engage conflict well, um, generally it is just about today. But when we feel really angry about something or when something just feels there's, there's an intensity within our emotion about it, whether we're confused, whether we're frustrated, whether we're angry, whether it's not fair, when that intensity is there, that's generally a very good signal that what we are feeling is not solely about today. It is about today, absolutely. But it is also bringing forth uh, echoes of the past of something that felt similar when we were a child that we could not tolerate or bear or process through at that time in our life. 
So first and foremost, if we can begin to understand the nature of our humanity in, from a psychological lens, that when we were unable to process something as a kid, it will come back and it will come back when we are able to process it. And it will never come back as just a random thing of whatever it was when we were a kid. It's going to come back in the disguise of something that we're dealing with today. So let me, can I give you a quick example? Please. Let's just say that uh, because I have a, a client with this exact kind of problem um, that uh, you're married and your husband has kids from a previous relationship and um, your husband persists in giving his ex-wife more money than what the court agreement says that he should have to do and that he doesn't seem able to, um, I don't know, to, like that the, the present wife feels that either her husband is afraid of the ex and he's trying to placate her with money or that he just doesn't want to, you know, like maybe the kids are older and he doesn't need to pay anymore, but he keeps paying, even though, you know, the, the date of that they're 18 or they're finished school or whatever is finished. And um, it's making her crazy that this money that should be for, uh, she feels should be for their present family is going out the door uh, because he can't stop over overgiving it seems to her to the ex-wife so uh, how would you say that that might be something that's related to something in her past that her anger about that is not about what it seems to her to be about but about something else well i don't know this person and i've never um i don't know the context of their story so it's a little bit hard yeah, to talk I get about so something that you've um something that I've never met, but I imagine something's actually going on for both of them from the past. In other words, there's something in his world where overgiving or overreaching is probably a very, like a survival technique. Right. And she probably is getting triggered that, um, you know, in many ways she probably, I'm guessing could feel very overlooked and like her significance doesn't matter. Right. And I'm guessing that's kind of getting exploded. So wow. again, that's yeah. a very high level 30,000 foot view of people I've never met or talked to. Right. But um, we are human and there are some similarities in of being course. human. So I imagine that perhaps those threads might, might perhaps apply to that story. I think that's perfect. Um, but what I love uh, about what you're bringing into this is the idea of um, relating it to something. And what I'd like to do is relate it to a couple. It's, they're, um, they are married, which is a little bit different for you guys, but I, I think it could still, people in our listening audience on this particular podcast could still really resonate with it. So um, the couple is Jake and Sarah, and they are actually the very first episode of my podcast that I ever recorded. And they came to me and wanted, they volunteered, to, my entire podcast is volunteers, but they came to me and they volunteered to be on the podcast because they had a current financial issue that they could not get through on their own. Mm -hmm. And the issue was that their 16 year old son had just gotten his driver's license. He had had it for about a month mm -hmm. and um, he got in a car accident mm -hmm. and they could not 
agree on how to engage that financially. So for Jake, he very much wanted his son to pay the whole bill. They wa he wanted his son to be financially responsible for the damage done to their car, as well as the damage done to the other person's car. And Sarah was, felt that was far too harsh for such a young kiddo. Mm -hmm. She really wanted him to take responsibility and learn from it but she just could not get her head around what Jake was asking, but also could not understand why she was so adamantly against it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so they were in this financial and emotional gridlock. They could not meet each other at all. And it was really creating quite a bit of conflict. And so what we began to do is we talked on this podcast. You're welcome to listen to it. And essentially what we learned was that Jake, he didn't have a ton of experiences with his dad that he felt were really bonding. The one exception was every single summer, him and his brothers and his dad, they would get together and they would up lumber. And they would sweat together and they would be men together and he felt older and he felt connected. And that was his main form of feeling bonded to his dad. And the key things that he identified there was that sweat was involved. Hard work was involved. Hard work made him feel connected. The second thing that he identified was that his parents often told him, you're the strong one. We don't need to worry about you. And so they, in some ways, missed him or missed helping him understand that asking for help doesn't mean to say that you're weak. There right. is strength in asking for help. But his internalized um, message, regardless of the intent of his parents, was that he internalized that message that asking for help is weak and you cannot do that. So you're going to work hard and you're going to do it all by yourself. And that's what he really began to articulate and began to realize how um, ingrained in him that was. And that was his philosophy. Well, Sarah, when she was 13 years old, her dad became a quadriplegic. So oh overnight he got in an accident and he lost basically movement everywhere in his body. And um, in addition to that, between the ages of 13 and 17, Sarah experienced so much loss. So her dad um, got hurt first. Then her parents got in a divorce because her mom could not handle what happened to her dad. And they were going through their own process of grief and um, trying, to, trying to sort through that complexity. And her grandma, who she identified as her safe place, mm -hmm. the place where she felt really seen and cared for, had a stroke and lost the ability to talk. Oh my goodness. So she just had three or four major caregiver figures in her life essentially unintentionally abandon her and leave her. And 
no one helped her through that. No one had the capacity. Her mom was completely grieving. Her dad was completely grieving. Her grandma lost the capacity to speak. No one was really able to see her or help mm-hmm. her metabolize all of that loss. Wow. And so her um, survival, the way she navigated those waters on her own, what she learned to do to survive was to overreach. So she essentially grew up overnight and became a parent. So she cared for her mom, she cared for her dad, she cared for her grandmother. And that was just, no one stopped her. No one told her that it was okay for her to still be a kid. And so she just got used to overreaching or overcaring in areas that necessarily weren't necessarily her responsibility. So does all of this make yeah, sense and so far? Of course. And you can really okay. see how these two people could be not able to see that, you know, each of them is like everyone on the planet seeing the situation and all of their lives through a lens of their own experience story. and conditioning yes. and story. And um, that here's where you just, you can be looking at the same thing and not see what the other person is seeing. Yep, absolutely. You're, you're spot on. You're getting it. This is why matters and fights about money are so complex. Um, because exactly what you just said, it's, it's, it's generally so loaded with our story, whatever our story might be. And we both bring that into it, each person. So let's, let's kind of use Jake and Sarah and let's illustrate these ideas of understand the conflict, be known and love boldly through Jake and Sarah's story. Great. Um, so the first step is understand the conflict. So the first thing Jake and Sarah needed to do was to know their lens. They needed to understand how, um, in, a, in the therapy term, your family of origin, the family yeah. that you grew up in, how that was impacting unconsciously their perspective. Okay. And so as you can see, there's a lot going on in that. And of course, Jake knew that he loved cutting lumber with his dad. And he knew his parents identified him as the strong one. What he wasn't aware of is how much he had internalized that asking for help, he equated to weakness. He was not conscious of that, but it was inherently um, impacting every decision that he was making. Sarah obviously knew her dad she lost her dad overnight. She lost her mom overnight. She lost her grandmother overnight. She had lived that and survived that. What she didn't realize was that her way of surviving that was to, like I said earlier, overreach and really be, and, and think she was responsible for something that actually wasn't her responsibility and was someone else's responsibility. Mm -hmm. And no one told her otherwise. And so these are very unconscious ways of relating in the world. Yeah. So number one, Jake and Sarah really had to understand their lens, which means they had to do some work on going back to their family of origin and connecting some dots that may not have been conscious yet. Okay. Mm -hmm. Number two, um, they really needed to be known by them, by who they are. They needed to learn to get them to know themselves better and then learn to offer that in a way to the other person that invites intimacy. So for Sarah, that may have been something like saying to Jake, you know what, Jake, I am realizing that the reason I'm feeling so conflicted about this emotional issue is because I think it might be bringing up a lot of other things for me 
that I am projecting onto this issue. And I need some time to sort through that. So let's press pause. And when I've sorted through that, let's come back to this conversation. So she may go and she may process, she may do that by herself, she may do that with a therapist, whatever the case may be. And then she may come back and she may say to Jake, Jake, I've learned a little something about myself. I think I know myself a little bit more. And what I'm understanding is I, I really experienced quite a bit of loss in, when I was in high school. And you know that and I know that. But what I wasn't aware of was that how I survived that loss was that I learned to take on responsibilities that were not mine. And I was sort of forced into that position. And I think what I'm learning is that in this situation with our son, I have a very motherly instinct as well as an old survival technique or mechanism where I am wanting to take on responsibility for him that is actually his. And so I'm aware of that now, but that's part of the reason that I have felt so strongly about not making our son pay for every single penny of this. Okay. Um, for Jake, what, what, so what's, let me just back up a second. So what Sarah's doing in that is she's learning a little bit about herself. She's taking ownership of how complex her situations is, and she's learning to care for her emotions and distinguish what is about today and what is about her past. Right. And once she learns that about herself, she's offering it to, to Jake in such a way that invites intimacy. It doesn't blame him. It doesn't shame him. It doesn't shut him down but it actually offers her heart in a way that her husband will get to know her a little bit better. Okay. Oh, that's so lovely because it feels even just saying in a way that invites intimacy feels scary. <laughs> mm -hmm. It feels scary to me mm -hmm. to um, that you're going to have to be um, vulnerable about mm -hmm. something. And I really liked what you said before, you know, just the wording of, I need some time to process this. Let's, press pause and come back to it like that's that's a wonderful bit of um you know sometimes we just need some words to help us um do that thing to because what you want to do is press pause but you're not quite sure how to say it without um you know pissing off the other person or just yeah. walking out of the room or whatever yeah. it's really that's really important absolutely and in an ideal world, you know, Jake is doing this too. So Jake's saying, you know, I'm, I'm aware that I've got a pretty hard perspective on this too. And that hardness indicates to me something needs to be paid attention. So I agree with you, Sarah. Let's, let's press pause and let's both go do some work on our own. And what's and, a, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say something that's especially interesting about this story from my uh, perspective as a homeopath. <laughs> um, I would always be interested in the idea that for both Jake and Sarah, something very strong is coming up for them that happened in their lives when they were the same age as their son is now. Mm -hmm. And that that's always something um, quite uh, triggering in terms mm -hmm. of bringing up old things for you that for each one, the, the dad and the mom, they are um, unconsciously experiencing something about their own adolescent time story. through yes. this accident and story that has happened to their son. And for yeah. each of them, it's a, it, it has a completely different flavor because of their 
their lens, but um, it, it's an interesting element of the story that you chose. So yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so then Jake might say, you know, might come back to Sarah and say something like, you know, Sarah, I've been working on this too. And what I've learned is that I felt so close to my dad when we worked hard together, when we sweat, there was nothing enjoyable about it. It was really difficult work, but I was connected with him and we were in it together. And I'm also aware that during that time, my parents had communicated to me in several different ways that they felt I was the strong one. And so they didn't necessarily emotionally attune to me as much as they did to my other siblings. And I, I internalized that, whether that was their intention or not, I internalized that to mean that I could never ask for help. And so what I'm learning with our son is that if he asks for help, am I, I think I believe that I'm teaching him that that's weakness. I think there's a part of me that believes that I'm, I'm afraid that, that I'm teaching him weakness. And that's, I know as an adult now that that's not true, but it's taken me some time to really understand kind of where I was coming from on that context. Right. So, so both of them are owning how their story is influencing their perspective. And as they both learn about themselves, they're both sharing that with the other, like I said, in a way that invites intimacy. So, so that's what step number two means by being known. Great. Step number three, love boldly, is, you know, when we do this work to understand ourselves, part of us exploring our story and learning how that how our childhood has really impacted how we, our style of relating to the world today, the more we can make sense of that, the more that we understand that, the more that we can begin to love ourselves and accept ourselves um, in a way that makes room for the complexity of being human. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we cannot give that to another without first learning to do that for ourselves. And the hard part about this is that we all long to be seen and to have the room. We all long that someone else would give us the room to be in process and the complexity of being human. But, But what we keep seeking that from someone else as opposed to learning to do that for ourselves. So, so that's when we say love boldly, step number three, we must first really, really begin to learn to make room for ourselves being in process and for ourselves that we are not perfect and that we're going to do things, but, it, but we must take ownership of that and learn to not shame that or dismiss that way of being, but to care for it tenderly, if that makes sense. And once we do that, we can then hold emotional space, if you will, for the other person to be in process in their own story and the complexity that that holds without shaming them or dismissing at them, dismissing them or um, yelling at them or or putting a wall up or um, disappearing from from the relationship Mm -hmm. and hiding. Um, And and so that's what we really mean by loving boldly. What does it mean to not hide in the face of conflict? What does it mean to actually show up and offer 
self-validated intimacy. So we're not seeking the other person's validation for what we offer. We're holding on to ourselves. We have the ability to self-soothe and self-regulate. Um, these are two conspe- concepts of the book I mentioned last time on differentiation by David mm-hmm. Schnark. Mm-hmm. Um, so loving boldly really, really is very being differentiated is foundational to loving boldly and having the ability to self-soothe and self-regulate as we offer intimacy is crucial to that process. And as we learn to do that for ourselves, we make room for the other person to do that. And we're not necessarily seeking that from the other person for us. We can give that to ourselves and, and we're letting them give that to themselves. So it also becomes very much a boundary issue. Wow. And that's, and that's big. <laughs> All of those things that you just mentioned are really a, a lifetime's work. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. And that's really, in my mind, that's how I do therapy. There are a lot of different modalities to therapy, but it's not necessarily that something is traumatic, right? It's that, it, that maybe someone's really curious about their style of relating and why they operate the way they do, but they don't know how to process through that. And yet that's crucial for really, really healthy relationships. You must know your story. You must know how to care well for different parts of your story that may be tender and how to offer them to someone else in a way that does not demand that they care for you, but invites them to get to know you more. That is a very, very tricky line. And, um, and yet that's, that's what makes really healthy relationships. And so when we talk about therapy, I would really encourage people to listen, to know that this type of intimacy that we're talking about right now, and I will circle back to how this applies to Jake and Sarah, but these ideas of understanding the conflict and being known and loving boldly, they're not things that you're going to be able to do in every relationship that you have. They're not going to be done with acquaintances. They're not going to be done with kind of that outer circle of friends, but maybe not best friends. They're going to be done in that really intimate, close circle. And there's really only going to be one or two people within that circle. Hopefully your spouse, perhaps a best friend, and maybe if you're willing to invite a therapist in, your therapist. But that's it. This is, this is a level of, um, like as Brene Brown says, you sort of have to earn this level of intimacy, yeah. if that makes sense, both yeah. for yourself and your spouse. And this isn't just given. You don't just give this away to people. Right. You really need to be wise in who gets to hold your heart in this process. But ultimately, you need to hold your heart above anyone else within. For sure. I, I spoke last week. Uh, the podcast that I did last week was about um, uh, my journey as a people pleaser and mm-hmm. sort of coming to, coming to terms with that slowly over my life until now and just the you know something that's helped me so much is the concept of um needing to be okay with myself even if i'm not overgiving and overdoing and pleasing someone else that all of that pleasing and giving should be you know that it's not selfless if i'm using it to to inflate myself up to like the okay level or the baseline or zero or whatever, you know, if I'm, if I'm giving and, and helping other people because it makes me feel good enough to feel worthy, then it's not really a selfless thing. And if I want 
if I want inside myself to, to be giving as a selfless act, I have the obligation to take care of myself to whatever level is, is okay for me before I start giving. And so I, I'm hearing a lot of what you're saying really resonates with, you know, whatever I talked about last week. So you were going to just say a few more words about Jake and Sarah and how, how these um, three steps apply yes. to their journey. Yep. Yeah. So once Sarah and Jake were able to really identify and own how their past was impacting their present, they were able to untangle um, that. So it, it included caring for that younger self that was being triggered mm -hmm. and wanted to heal. Um, and the book really talks about how to care for that younger self. So I'll let people kind of go and download that just because I'm aware of time. But what they also did is once they owned that and saw how deeply the situation how complex it was and how deeply it was triggering both of them. What I noticed is that it broke the gridlock. It broke that, that hardness mm -hmm. that, that they previously both felt they were both right and the other person was wrong yeah. and they could not believe that the other person had this totally different perspective, right? It yeah. sort of broke that gridlock and there was a softness and an opening that occurred and they didn't quite know what to do do but they could talk about it at that point in a way that they couldn't before and so really what we began to do in the um podcast was once they could see that we began to talk about different ways to engage this with their son that really honored their son um and i will you know it's interesting because we actually had to talk through two or three different ideas because the first two in some ways were very logical, but I brought up this idea of, and then in what way could this potentially create fear in your son that it's not okay to make a mistake, mm -hmm. right? If, if the cost is so huge to bear, will he, ever, will he ever try anything new again because he's so afraid of, of the, the consequences yeah. and as parents that's our job with wisdom and kindness is to discern what each kid can tolerate and how it will potentially impact them down the road and so we really struggled with a solution for the personality of their son keeping in mind that these two parents really wanted to teach their son responsibility and consequences but not make it crippling or traumatic yeah. that's and, so great uh, yeah and so um, I won't actually give you the results. I'll encourage people to go listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> it was season one, episode one. It's called Jake and Sarah. Um, and I think there are just three seasons up right now. So you'll, you'll probably have to dig, but you can find it on the psychologyofmoneypodcast.com and then wherever you listen to podcasts. But I will say, even after Jake and Sarah did all this work, there was still more work to be done. This work broke the gridlock. And then they had to negotiate and navigate once they had, they were both on the same page and they understood each other's lens and they loved each other and cared for each other in that. 
then they were able to love and care for their son. In other words, they were able to see their son and where he was at and what he could tolerate and bear. And they were able to come up with a solution that was good for him. And so that's what was beautiful is oftentimes, you know, when they, when they started, they were in such gridlock that they both felt they were both right. Their son, there was no room for him. Right. <laughs> there was no room to really understand his role in this and what he could bear and what the learning curve for him and really meeting him where his, they, he was at, you know? Yeah. And um, so ultimately everyone got cared for in the process. And that w- was what was so beautiful about this. And so the, the reason I had lots of episodes to choose from when I created this ebook, but I really liked Jake and Sarah's story. I really liked how open and hungry they were to really understand the depth and the complexity of the conflict and then how they even, when they understood that, how caring and loving they were to try and care for their son in that and to meet him where he was at. They just are an amazing couple. And um, I highly recommend, recommend that mm-hmm. listening to their, their, listening to their process. That is so great. So um, this is great. I'm going to remind people where to get your, um, your free ebook, which is at tamazonthomas.com. And I will put that link in the show notes and you're going to come back in a few weeks. And what are we going to talk about then? Some technical stuff. Yeah. So today was more um, trying to really see the psychological lens, how complex this can be from an emotional standpoint and, and, and how far back it can go in terms of like, even though we're adults and we're parents, it doesn't mean to say we, totally got it all figured out and our bodies can remind us of past events that maybe we weren't able to process as a kid. And that's true for all of us. It's part of being human. Um, But what I've also noticed in my work with couples is that there's also just a helpful piece of getting on the same page or having a common foundation when it comes to what I would call the technical aspect of money. And that is really comes down to Um, monthly inflows and outflows. What I've noticed is even as a former financial planner, couples tended to be on the same page for long-term planning, whether that was retirement or kids' college education. But what created the angst and the anxiety and most of the conflict was the monthly day-to-day choices of... You went to Costco and you spent how much, you know, like our list was five Mm -hmm. items and you came back with 15, like that sort of day to day in and out was where the conflict was held. And so next time, I think it might be helpful to talk about um, perhaps how I navigate that with couples and how to get couples on the same page and aware of their monthly inflows and outflows and give them some words that they both can, like a language, a common language that they both understand and can relate to. Oh, that's great. I can't wait for that. (laughs) I No, I think that's really great. I think everybody can use that. So fantastic. Thank you so much. You you just have such an amazing um, confluence of skill sets. I don't know anyone else that can (laughs) talk about things the way you can. So this is just great. Thanks again so much for, for being here. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again in a few weeks. Well, I, it's a privilege. And so thank you so much for the invitation and um, thanks for wanting to have this conversation. So I love diving into it. I kind of nerd out on it and it's a privilege to get to be with you in this and to get to walk with your listeners. So thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. We're glad to have you here.
So I hope you've already subscribed to the Essential Stepmom podcast. And if not, go ahead and do that. So you'll find out when part three of this series on money conflicts with Tamsin Thomas is going to be available. Meanwhile, do check out her website and download her three-step guide to resolving financial conflict. You'll have everything she talked about today and more. And once again, as we all hunker down for at least a few weeks of extreme togetherness for some, extreme separation for others, I'm thinking of all of you. And as always, I encourage you to reach out. I'm always up for a messenger chat or a phone call. And you can find a link to book one at no charge on my website, EssentialStepmom.com. And you'll find my boredom busters there too. I'll be back next week. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to rate or review us on iTunes. That's the very best way you can help other high-performing, alternative-thinking stepmoms to stumble onto this show and discover a community of like-minded listeners around the world. According to Anchor FM, the platform I'm recording on, we're being heard now in 36 countries. I find that really exciting. If you're a social media kind of person, you're welcome to join my Facebook community by sending a join request to The Spectacular Stepmom. If you'd rather just get a more intimate weekly email from me, send me a message with the subject weekly email to info at essentialstepmom.com. Finally, I'd love to hear from you with questions or comments or situations you'd like me to address on this podcast. You can leave a voice message right here or send